Welcome to the Campus Christian Fellowship Podcast for the University of Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Northern Iowa. Tonight, we're going to be uh, talking about unity. See, the issue with the Corinthian church is that they don't have much unity. They've got division. They've got problems. Like I said, the, Corinth, the church in Corinth is kind of, um, kind of a mess. And uh, Corinth is a really big city. It's a multicultural city. It's got a lot going on. It's a major center of trade. It's like guarding this isthmus. Um, that leads to this whole bigger land mass, and so Corinth was kind of the gateway to that area, as well as a place where they try to trade across the isthmus. And so, lots of goods going through, lots of opportunity. A big city, a happening place, a place that you wanted to be. But it's an interesting city because it's a Greek city, but it's a Roman colony, and it also has a fairly significant Jewish population there. And that's what the church, they've got this mix of these groups of people. There's Romans, there's Greeks, there's Jews. And these are all making up the church in Corinth. Um, so right away, let's, let's dig into some text and let's kind of see what's going on with all of these kind of divisions and clashes and culture things happening. Um, so like I said, there's a couple of verses that I skipped over. Last time, we're going to kind of cover those tonight because they fit more with that idea of division and unity and, and that, those issues. So in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 2, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Um, so Paul actually does an interesting thing here. He, like I said, Corinthians is like, I think, a really brilliantly written book, really thought through, really like devised. And so Paul's got a lot of stuff that he's being knowledgeable about and he's going on. Because at the very end here, this last verse, he talks about, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas. And I think what Paul's trying to do there is he's calling the groups of the church out. He's saying, so some of you talk about how like you're followers of Paul. And the thing about Paul is that he's actually a Roman citizen. And so it's likely of the divisions of the different people in the groups, the Romans would probably be a little message. Because like Paul, fellow Roman citizen, they're like, we can listen to a Roman. Romans know what they're talking about. Yeah, we'll listen to Paul. And then this next group goes, well, I follow Apollos. Apollos is Greek. That's a Greek name. Um, and so probably the Greeks in the church are like, well, we kind of like what Apollos said, because he's Greek and he knows how to speak to the Greeks, and maybe he should be the guy that I follow. I follow Cephas. Um, Cephas is actually the name for Peter. It's just that it's the Jewish name for Peter. So there's these Jews in the church saying, well, we want to follow the Jewish guy, so we're going to follow Cephas. And then there's that last group of I follow Christ, and... I don't know if this is the case, but I kind of feel like what Paul was doing here is like, and then there's the rest of you who are just like, well, I follow Christ. And I, I don't know, maybe he was saying this is the right group, but maybe he's seeing this kind of the stuck up group that's just like, wow, man, why would I follow all those people when I can follow Christ? And he's just like, regardless of what group you cause, what, regardless of what group you put yourself into, these are divisions, these are, these are groupings. But again, 
he does something interesting here, because he could have directly called them out, and he said, see, there's issues, because some of you just say, well, we're Romans, and we're only going to do Roman stuff and listen to Romans, or we're Greeks, we're only going to do Greek things, listen to Greeks, we're Jews, we're only going to listen to the Jews, and we're only going to do our thing, but he doesn't want to, like, shame them, even though I, I, I think 1 Corinthians is, like, the subtweet letter, I think, of the epistles, that there's all this stuff that that Paul's just making references to and throwing them under the bus, and, and he's not sure if they're following or not, but he's doing it anyway. But what he could have done is he said very, he could have said very directly, the Romans keep sticking with the Romans, the Greeks stick with the Greeks, the Jews stick with the groups, the Jews. You guys need to be all together instead of being all separate groups. But he does it kind of carefully, and he says, well, some of you are like this, some of you are like that, some of you are like that, but you kind of all need to be united. You all need to be one. Because I think what Paul wants to do is he wants them to be aware of their divisions, but he doesn't want to like call into that cultural mess. Because I think the, ch- the church was much like the city of Corinth, where there's divisions. Because the Romans are in charge of a Greek people that are living in there, and then there's these foreigners, the Jews, that have moved into the city to set up shop and do business and do their things. And so there's like this stratification and there's these class differences that fall along those cultural lines. And there's all kinds of, there's some language barriers and there's some religious barriers. and There's all kinds of things that make this city really messy. I don't know if this illustration is going to work because you guys might be too young. But a movie I saw recently that's kind of an older movie, uh, it's called Gangs in New York. Uh, it's, it's this kind of sweeping epic um, but it has some really cool stuff. But that, that kind of shows like early in the history of New York City when they had all these groups coming from all these different parts of the world that would come in through the harbor. And there's like the American people that had their own gang that they wanted to, to be like America first and, and Amer- we want Americans here. But there's these Irish people coming in and they really hate the Irish because the Irish are maybe taking their jobs or just being a blight on the city, or whatever they viewed, whatever the problems was they thought from these foreign people, it was causing problems, and then they have all this fight, and there's this warfare, and Leo DiCaprio does a job, and Daniel Day-Lewis probably, I don't think he won an Oscar for that one, but just about anything else, he deserves an Oscar. Anyway, I'm kind of a film nerd, so I could go on about that, but that's not the point for tonight. There's all this fighting from all these different groups, because they view the other group as the other, and that they can't get along, and that they can't be a part of the same city. And I think Corinth looked like that. It was a major bustling city with a lot of different cultures clashing and fighting and and it bleeds into the church. And the church has problems. And if you just think about gangs in New York, sorry, is that all of these groups claim to be religious. There's this kind of Protestant Catholicism thing going on that caused lots of issues back then. Um, but they're always like, we do this for Jesus, and then they like slash each other's throats, and it's kind of like, that's not what Jesus wants you to do, guys. Okay, I think you missed that one. Um, but anyway, there wasn't, yeah, that's a different movie. Uh, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and so he talks about this disunity. He goes into that section that we talked about last week um, that kind of covered wisdom and those kind of things, and then he goes back into this call to unity in chapter 3. So let's move ahead to chapter 3. Um, and hopefully I won't be distracted by Scorsese films. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3, 1-9. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. 
And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Uh, Again, uh, I said Corinthians kind of made that, that subtweeting letter. Um, Paul starts out here saying, y'all are a bunch of babies. I want to trust you with really important stuff. I want to give you solid food, but I keep having to give you milk because you're all acting like babies. And you're having these strifes, this strife, this quarrel. Uh, that, that quarreling uh, part there, uh, is that not here? Strife, strife. Sorry, I'm thinking NIV and I've got ESV up here. Okay, uh, that jealousy and strife among you, that word there for strife is actually uh, a Greek word that is like uh, aris, which comes from this dude named Ares, who's the god of war. So sometimes we think about strife as like, oh, they're having these like arguments. And Paul's probably saying like, y'all, you guys are like warring against each other. There's major conflict going on in this church. And it's stunting their, what Paul's willing to even teach them. You guys ask, you can even, this stuff that I really want to teach you and want to give you and want to tell you about Christ. But you guys got to get your act together. You got to start caring for each other so that I can communicate the word to you. And you've got this whole, again, this Apollos and Paul thing that he brings back up. Um, because there's, there's some reason for this. Because Paul's the one who planted the church. Soon after Paul, evangelist came in named Apollos. And he started teaching um, some really good things. Some things you could follow. But it started turning part of the church. And then part of the church said, well, we're, we like Paul. And the other part of the church said, well, we like Apollos. And they started breaking apart. Even though there was these two godly men that were trying to just sow into the church and teach to the church. They wanted to follow the guy that they liked better. Um, Man, I think that can really... One of the difficulties of campus ministry is these first couple weeks in the semester from, from like, a minister standpoint. Because we see all of these freshmen come onto campus. We see all these people that have so much potential and that could do so many awesome things. And we get to meet some of them at different fairs and different things or they'll check us out the first week. And then suddenly they start ghosting us because they found another ministry that they liked better, which is... Totally fine. Like, we're all on the same team. All of us Jesus people, Christian campus ministries. Like, we're all on the same Kingdom of Heaven, Team Jesus team. But sometimes we get into these, like, little bits of infighting because we want students. We want people to be coming to our stuff because it's always more exciting and more fun when you have more people. That's just how it is. And so sometimes I find myself getting jealous because... We're not, you know, having hundreds of people hang out with us like Salt does. Or I hear of a student that I thought was really cool and thought was really connecting, and they're like, well, I check out 24-7, and I kind of like them, which is totally fine. They're an awesome ministry. But I get jealous because I want them coming to my group. And I see, like, leadership potential, and I'm like, man, if 
Like that guy could have been part of here. Like, wow, it wasn't cool. And we get stuck. When really we should be rejoicing that people are finding a community where they belong. That people are finding Jesus here on campus, which is a hard thing to do. There's a lot of stuff that you guys can get caught up in that you can do. That isn't even necessarily a bad thing. But it can take you away from the time that you could be spending with Christ and learning more about Jesus. I I know last week I kind of encouraged you guys to check out other groups and other orgs because you had that opportunity to shine light into those places. And I still mean that. But then you also have to like weigh the balance and go, okay, am I giving too much of my time to this and I'm missing out? on the Jesus stuff? Am I, am I being filled up enough that I can pour out into those groups the Jesus stuff? And so you've got you to gotta weigh that balance. I know that's a challenge because this is your like, first time on your own being an adult, being in charge of your life, being in charge of your time. So how do you balance that Jesus stuff? We'll keep talking about that. That's, that's an ongoing struggle that you'll probably have for the rest of your life. Um, but you start to kind of figure some things out. So hopefully I can help you guys out with that. But that's not tonight. Tonight we're talking about unity. So let's... Let me actually, let me touch upon the end of that. Um, because what Paul does is something really cool. When he says, you are God's field, God's building. He's setting up a metaphor that he then carries on in the rest of the verses. Um, but he does this really neat thing where he's actually linking back to the Old Testament. Really to you, which I'm worried I won't be able to because the last time I tried to explain it was during a sermon that was about half an hour and that was the main chunk of the sermon. But I'm going to try to teach you about remez tonight, which is a Jewish word that essentially means like a reference back to something. So like I made a reference to Gangs in New York and talked about that a little bit. You could argue that was kind of a remez to that. So you, it's like peppering in these little thoughts, these little references to some maybe your listeners uh, have heard before, have experienced before. And so what Paul does here is I think he's remezzing to the book of Isaiah. Um, Jesus remezzes all the time, pretty much like his parables. This is where it's most commonly found. He does these little like turns of phrases or he'll like randomly emphasize and make detail, like give you lots of details about a specific thing because he's trying to link his disciples back to something that they read in the Old Testament. And so this is a Jewish technique to always get from from a rabbi to get his disciples to think of Scripture, to think of the Old Testament. And so when he tells a story, when he teaches a lesson, he'll make references to a part of the Old Testament. And so here Paul makes a reference to God's field and God's building. Um, I'm going to give you guys a chance when you're in groups to look up Isaiah 61, but I think Paul is remezzing here to Isaiah 61 because... Isaiah uses both of those metaphors kind of within the same chunk of text. Um, and so I think that's what Paul's doing, is he's making his, his readers here think of Isaiah 61. And so he, he works on this metaphor, and in verses 10 through 15, he kind of expounds upon it. He says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds in the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, each work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what he has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, 
though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. So, so there's this big description that Paul gives here, and the thing about uh, about remezzing, um, it's part of let's try to get this. It's part of a, of a Jewish teaching device known as pardes, which is uh, an acrostic, where the P is pashat, the R is remez, the D is drash, the S is sowed. Uh, pashat essentially means like all the surface level things that you say, like as you're telling the story. And so Paul here is kind of making this big description. And so all the stuff that he describes here is, is absolutely beneficial and valuable. And we could dig a lot through just what he says. But I'm going to try to hit that next level of what he's remezzing to. Um, and so we're going to try to dig a little bit deeper. Um, so if you want to take this text and read through it and just kind of like dwell on what Paul is actually just saying with the words he's saying, like you should do that. There's a lot of benefit there. Um, what I'm going to try to do is go below the surface tonight and dig into what I think Paul is also getting at and some of the other things that he's trying to say with his remez here. So he's mentioned Isaiah, I think he's mentioned Isaiah 61 already and brought that up. And Isaiah, um, another thing where he says, for the day will disclose it. Um, the reason the, day, the D there and the day is capitalized is because it refers to the day of the Lord, um, which a lot of people think about as being like the end of the world, end of the age, that kind of judgment day, that kind of stuff. Um, the passage in Isaiah 61 is actually uh, like talks about the day of the Lord. This is what happens when the day of the Lord occurs. And so another reason I think that Paul is linking to Isaiah 61, um, but he's doing this other thing too where he talks about gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. One of the keys when you're trying to figure out a remez um, and when you're trying to dig deeper is like look for those places where there's this seemingly unnecessary level of detail. And so Paul just continues to give these descriptions. Um, what I think Paul's trying to do here is he's making a reference to the temple. And I think this becomes more obvious because of the verses that come later. But gold, silver, precious stones, like those are all materials that went into the building of the temple. And there's these descriptions that happen whenever the temple is built. That the, uh, It talks about how um, God like inhabits the temple and it's like fire descending from heaven and, and it burns up all the offerings that are given at the dedication of the temple uh, this happens in 2nd Chronicles number the chapter now but just google heaven and it burns up all the offerings all the things that are given and they're by, by fire the fire is testing uh, the work that's to be done and so I think Paul's trying to get us to think about and, and what that looked like and, and what that meant because um, it's this really cool thing that when the temple's dedicated, there's a response of all the people that are there worshiping, where they fall flat on their faces and they're just blown away by what God has done, the fact that God has shown up. And they're just like in awe of who God is in this moment. And that's what it, what it is when God shows up at the temple. And I think that's significant because when we go to the next couple verses of this chapter, this is when Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. There's a tendency when we come across passages in, in the New Testament and we see you that we try to apply it only to ourselves. And I'm not saying that these verses can't apply to yourself as an individual. But the thing to keep in mind is when Paul wrote this, he's writing it to a church. 
to a community of believers in Corinth. And so I think the you here is a plural, it's a y'all. Um, thank goodness for Southern grammar having a, a plural you that's very clear. So do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? For if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is holy and y'all are that temple. We are God's temple. We, the community of believers, the people of God, are to be his temple. The temple is the place where heaven and earth meet. It's the place where God shows up. It's the place where when that fire descends, the dedication of the temple, everyone who's there is blown away. There's another event that links really closely to the dedication, and it's when the Holy Spirit shows up at Pentecost and talks about the apostles, how they're gathered together, and there's a fire descending upon the disciples as they're speaking. And everyone who is gathered around is just blown away that God has shown up in such a powerful way. And they want to listen. And they start hearing the disciples. And they start like understanding them. And it talks about how like thousands of people were added to the believers that day. Because when God's people, what God's people should be, what we should be as the temple, is people who just bring about this awe of who God is. Is. What I think Paul's trying to do in bringing up these images and these thoughts, making these references to Isaiah, to the dedication of the temple, to these things, is he's trying to remind them that in your unity, the creation of the temple happens. And everyone who witnessed it is just blown away by who God is. And they see his power and his majesty his grace and his love and his compassion and all those things. That is what we as the community of believers are supposed to be. That we have such unity, such love that people just can't help but be transformed by it. And so the question is when we gather together, when we are viewed, when the temple is on display, y'all are in the temple. When that is on display, how do people react? Are they amazed by our unity? Do they go, I never thought a group of people could get along like that and have fellowship and love and compassion and, and serve one another? Or do they just walk by because you don't really look that different than the culture around you? That's the thing in Corinth. The church looked like the city. So it wasn't doing much. Paul says, if your unity is right, people will be captivated. They'll take note. I want you guys to be unified, not only so that I can teach you more, but so the world will see what the temple represents.